Hey internet, I'm Simon Squibb, your host at the Good Luck Club podcast. Our mission is to help anybody out there that's thinking of starting a business do just that. Equally, if you've started a business and are struggling, maybe you need a little bit of inspiration and knowledge. And we hope by interviewing some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs and change makers that you'll get the knowledge you need to become the person you want and turn your business into that dream company. I personally have started 17 companies from scratch and have invested in over 65 startups. When I sat down and analyzed how I did it, I discovered a secret. It was all luck. I'm here to tell you, in my opinion, without luck, it ain't gonna work. Each week, I will discuss with my guests this theory and see if luck is a skill as I feel it is. I hope you enjoy our episode this week. Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast, where we tell real-life stories from entrepreneurs that have been there and done that. Today's guest on my podcast show is Hernan Zengalini. I hope I got his surname right. He is uh, one fascinating individual, and I think you're going to enjoy today's podcast. Hernan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Maybe you could start off the podcast by just telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm an architect originally uh, from Chile, um, now living in Hong Kong, and um, um, stopped by in, in on the way here many, many years ago in uh, Sydney, then Brunei, and um, ended up uh, designing restaurants in Hong Kong, where um, eventually developed into also opening restaurants with um, partners that I met along the way. That That's in short. Um, if you want to go deeper, I used to be very, very shy, and uh, and that was the main drive to leave Chile and and, and try something on my own. You know, I grew up in a bit of a cocoon, and, um, and and going to Australia was kind of to break away and see if I could survive on my own. The original idea was minimum two years, maximum five, and then go back, and that was I don't know thirty five years ago, I think. And, uh, and then, you know, you meet people along the way and, and you just go with the flow. And, uh, and it's been an amazing journey and it's been uh, fantastic to get rid of all those fears. I, I, I was very, very shy and very fearful of everything. And then um, when you start with nothing and you keep falling and start with nothing again, it, it get, you get used to it and you lose the fear. And it's the biggest gift in my life. Are you still shy? Uh, to, for, for certain things, you know, um, everyone will tell you I'm not, but you know, occasionally I blush, but before I couldn't uh, do anything without blushing. You know, it, uh, we, we had a family lunch on Sundays and, and they're all having a, you know, hot, heated up discussion. And uh, uh, occasionally I forget that I'm shy and I will have an opinion and everyone will just go quiet and say, oh, he can talk. And that would be it. And then my hands start sweating. I would go red. Now I, 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 I can take all of that quite easily. Um, I'm still hopeless to go into a shop, ask for something and not come out with some crap that I don't need. You know, but apart from that, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I think it's fascinating talking to someone like yourself. I mean, looking at your CV, you, you've been self-employed uh, for for many, many, many years. And, and I guess sometimes the concept of being an entrepreneur and being shy aren't, aren't two things that normally 
go together. People perceive entrepreneurship as very outgoing, I guess, kind of not shy folks. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey and maybe what success means to you and, and, and how you've managed to overcome, I guess, the stereotype of an entrepreneur. I, um, yeah, that's that. Um, actually, I was very fearful of being you know, an entrepreneur. In fact, I was very fearful of everything. Um, I think I became an architect. I always knew I was going to be an architect. I don't know. Maybe my mother brainwashed me when I was very young. Um, but um, but also it was like I, I was not particularly good at anything. And I thought, okay, drawing a house cannot be that hard. You know? So um, I ended up going into it. And, and I remember studying architecture and, and the constant fear five years ahead of how am I going to survive on this profession? You know, how am I going to get my first job? How how is it going to happen? You know, I'm not going to go and knock a door and ask for work. But then along the way, you know, you you just get little drafting jobs or extra jobs from from teachers, and and then through the teacher you meet somebody else, and then the the, the some of my um, employee employers basically or like the teachers that would work with me on on a part-time basis they uh, they would not like to do a job because it was too small so they would just say and oh, no, you can do that it's yours and and then you build a relationship with these people and and, and you start getting your little jobs on, on your own so um, with a group of friends we rented a garage in an architect's office and, and we, we started from there that was on my second year of university again we came out, I came out of university and it was a recession. So there was no hope. I wasn't going to get a, a proper job. So I, I stayed in university and, and uh, got, did some extra courses while on the, you know, half day setting up with my five friends and, and we set up an office and, and you do the odd job, started doing a bit of construction in Chile. They wouldn't pay you on those days for designing, especially since you just came out. But... Um, but they would, you know, give you a, can you do a kitchen for, you know, somebody, a kitchen extension, a toilet extension, an extension to the house. And and and, and all of a sudden you get into that rhythm of things and, and, and you start realizing that it's one connection with the next one. It's a matter of just doing a good service and a good job. And then they will recommend you to somebody else. I, I was, you know, this kind of, getting into a TV or video conference or, or knocking a door and asking for work. It, it was never going to happen. You know, it's, uh, and, and one of the best things that has happened in my life is when I moved on to designing restaurants because a lot of the marketing is done by the place itself. You know, if you're doing residential, it's probably a bit more difficult because you need people to promote you, your, your client to promote you. And, and then how many guests are you going to get in a house in a day, you know? I design a restaurant, I get a hundred customers that are coming in there and all I need is one or two to like it, apart from somebody next door that feels like, why is that restaurant working? I don't mind. You know, and they approach you. So it's, um, it, it, it becomes easy once you start doing it. But I was incredibly fearful of, of, of how do you, how do you get these clients? How do you knock at the door? You know, how, how do you negotiate a fee? What, is, what was the right fee? And maybe for 15 years, they were too low. You know, but, um, but eventually, you know, you, you start getting more work and, and, and it's a matter of choosing between two. You, you pick the one that pays a little bit better or it's got a better exposure on the site. And, and 
and I like what I do, so I think that makes a difference. Um, designing restaurants gives you an amazing satisfaction, so you don't need to just look at the bottom line. You know, it uh, even in, in 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 a lot of jobs, a lot of them that ended up being non-profitable you still get a lot of satisfaction. You would do it again. I would do it again. Some of them that you think, what a horrible experience. And if you say, would you do it again? I said, well, I wouldn't do that twice. But even if I knew I was going to go through that experience, I'll do it again because it's, you learn from it. And, uh, and, and again, like I said, designing restaurants, it gives an amazing satisfaction. You can have you know, when you start designing a restaurant, it's is, is like a, it's a honeymoon period the first two weeks, um, and then it goes through a little bit of a boring period, and then two weeks before opening, you start having all the tension of breaking up period, you know, the, the client is feeling a little bit insecure, they spend all of this money, they've been bragging on how it's going to look, and, and that's, they go to site and it doesn't look like it's going to be done on time, it doesn't look sexy enough, and, and they start panicking, so then they start pointing fingers, it's no time to change it, there's no budget to change it. And then, um, you know, two days before, they're still panicking because there's all the little details that are missing. And a restaurant has to be designed to have people in it. So even if it's perfectly fine and finished, it's not alive till you have people inside. And the minute you get the people inside, they come to life. And, and then it doesn't matter. The, the client forgets about all the pain, it's like having a baby, you know, and... Um, and the satisfaction you get, you forget about all the pain. And if you didn't make any money, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's, uh, you, you, you're really ready for the next. So the process to become an entrepreneur was, was because there was no other opportunities out there, really. And, um, and then... Sorry to interrupt you. I mean, that's an interesting point. I think to, for today's time, I think a lot of people will feel the same way right now that they can't get a job or, or there's there's a recession of course not only brewing but probably happening right now uh, i guess depending on how you technically call a recession but so you must be able to relate to that uh, back then for you this time right now for people but it seems to me and, and correct me if i'm wrong that in a way that was uh, good for you right it, it gave you a chance to go and create your own business that you may not have done if, if you were given a job and able to you know hide away in the back office for someone else <laughs> Honestly, by now, I'm a, a believer that most of the bad things that happen to you end up with a, a, a better result than if it had been just all good. Every time, I, I mean, I, I, I moved to Australia and then after a year and a half or two years, it was in a recession in Australia, probably the last one they had. So I started feeling like wherever I, I, I went, I was really strong at it. Wherever I go, I have to start from scratch again. You know, I, um, when I um, got to Australia the first three months, I, in, in Chile, I didn't even need a, a portfolio. You know? I, I, you, if I was going to go to somebody, it was like a friend of somebody in the family, whatever it is. And you, know, you, you just, you sort of, somebody knows somebody that you did know. And, so I, I never had to show anything that I've done, and I had done nothing anyhow. And then I, I went to Australia, and it was like, go to interviews, and you have a, to have a portfolio. I, said, I have to do one, you know, I have to make one, I don't have one. 
So for the first three months, I work um, as a cleaner. And um, after three months, I got a job as an architect in an office. And I was earning less as, as a cleaner. You know? So it was quite frustrating. And uh, people said, oh, yes, but, you know, in, in, in a year from now, you will be earning a lot more than you were earning as a cleaner. Well, a year from there, I had a client in one of these big offices that used to be a cleaner. He still had a cleaning company, and he was building an 80 million hotel uh, in, in Australia. So it doesn't quite work that bad, you know. You, you, could, you could still make it in a completely different area to where you were. And... Um, and then after, after two years uh, working on the large companies, I, I got bored um, and, and ended up opening a small company with one of the guys from the office, a local guy. And, um, and after a year and a half, it didn't work. So we moved back into a big company. Then it was another recession. Um, then they're applying for jobs through the paper and ended up with a, work, a job in, um, in um, Brunei. As a story told short, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in between. And, and, but I always, even when I was working in the large company, my, my boss ended up giving me their friends, clients to do house extensions. And so I always had a little job on the side and, uh, and it was always much more fun than these big jobs that I was doing in the office. The office was great. And, you know, those jobs take three years, four years, five years. You never see them finished. Um, you work in, in your own little house extension and it takes six months, nine months, and you, you see them being completed and, and, and people enjoying them and, and you go there for a barbecue and getting pissed with the owner. It, it's, you know, it's a very different experience, a lot more gratifying. And, um, and again, because of the recession, the second recession in Australia, I ended up in um, applying for a job and ended up in Brunei. You know? and, um, and from Brunei, I used to come to Hong Kong every three months. Um, I had a, I met a, a neighbor in, in, in Sydney uh, that we used to see each other through the kitchen window and we ended up meeting on the street and then this guy one day um, opened a hi-fi shop that I designed. He was very entrepreneurial. I mean, the most entrepreneurial person I've ever met. Yeah. Uh, the worst manager I've ever met, but I really really good entrepreneur and he would come up with the most wildest ideas and and, and in one day he was on the left and the next day he was on the right with another complete different idea and uh, he would come and bag me very often for Hernan can you help him with a little sketch and let's put a business plan and, and then he would try to go and find investors well eventually uh, he ended up opening a hi-fi shop in Sydney and he used to come through Hong Kong to buy satellite dishes in Taiwan. And he met a chef in a minibus. And he decided to open a Thai restaurant in Hong Kong, Wyndham Street Thai. And so he asked me, Hernan, can you design a restaurant? I said, yeah, sure, I can design a restaurant. My father had restaurants back in Chile. So, um, so it was, uh, and, and it was something that I'd never thought, dreamt, or planned to be ever involved again in my life. But I ended up, you know, sort of designing the restaurant for him. And, and it was just a rush of nostalgia. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up in the restaurant. It was 50 meters from my school. So every day I finished the school, I would go there and wait for my father to pick me up and go home. So I used to spend, I don't know, three, four hours a day in that restaurant, 
that's playing with my thumbs, you know, going up and down and helping, squeezing lemons for a pisco sour. And um, and it was just an amazing experience to to design a restaurant and, and connect with all these 10 years of, you know, memories that you had. Amazing. And, uh, yep. No, amazing. I mean, Wyndham Street Thai is still there, right, in, in Hong Kong? No, it lasted like probably 12, 15 years, which is a lot for Hong Kong. But, yeah, but, very uh, long time. For any, any of my listeners in the US or the UK, I mean, a restaurant in Hong Kong to turn around in four years is normal. I mean, if you get through four years, you're, you're, you're doing well. I mean, the rents are high, the, the lease is not long. So, uh, yeah, f- 15 years. How, how long ago were we talking when, when you did th- This is the first restaurant you did in Hong Kong, Wyndham Thai, right? 1983. I was, I was, I was not leaving. Okay. Not leaving uh, here. I was actually uh, just moved to Brunei when we finished that one. And then after that, I would, I would come here every, every three months, you know, to, to measure our place up and then uh, take it back with me. And I, I was working in Brunei, but on, after hours, I was designing these uh, restaurants for or my friend, client. And uh, so after that, we opened a Spanish restaurant. I would come here to meet the contractor, and then I would come three months later, a week before opening, and then go back to Brunei. And then uh, then we opened a, a gay bar. We opened, it, it was just one one thing after the other one. Maybe every six months, we would open a new place, or he would open a new place. And um, and he would pay me with a trip and books. And, and you know, for all I, all I wanted was to have some real work, the, the, the work I was doing in Brunei was quite unreal. It was never going to happen again in my life. So I, I always feared that I was going to be out of touch if I stay there for too long without doing things that had deadlines and budgets and you know, return on investment things. You know? So, uh, And then at one point he calls and um, he said, I got two restaurants for you to do. I said, I can't. I can only do one restaurant at the time. You know? And... Uh, I got a full-time job, and um, my daughter was at the time in Chile, and uh, because there was no high school in Brunei for international high school, so he said, "You know, come to Hong Kong, and you know, we we have a fee that can be divided over a year." And so, nineteen ninety-six, we packed and came to Hong Kong. And then, uh, nineteen ninety-seven, ninety-eight, the Asian crisis got us, so it was like, oh. Here we go again, you know, and and that was that was as tough as now, you know. It uh, we 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 didn't have enough connections. I uh, my my client basically packed his bags and left. So um, so we luckily we had done five restaurants by them, and they were all incredibly popular. So we we had at least something to show for, but um, that it was tough. I had to close the office. We was uh, basically part of his warehouse, and and I had three people working with me. And, and they all went to um, back to their own countries. But again, what happened is um, a lot of bigger offices with bigger overheads that have been creaming it here for years, they just wrapped their backs and went back home. So it was not much competition in terms of designers left. And I went to work from home for about, um, I don't know, six, seven months. We had some tough uh, little times, you know, Christmas 98, we had no money for presents. My wife had been rewrapping the old toys that they had, cleaning them up and put them aside so they could forget that they had them. And, and um, it, uh, but again, we and we lived off, you know, we borrow money from friends that we had only met for a year 
it, it was it was a tough year, but um, but it forces you to to go out and 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 do things that I, uh, you feel uncomfortable with. And um, again, managers that I met in restaurants where I worked before would call and say, "Hanan, can you do an extension here? Can you change? Can you help us with that?" And I, I, and I would go there, and, and eventually, you know, sort of, um, we started doing a couple of jobs here and there, and the few jobs that we did, and like now, if you are here in Hong Kong, well, now it's probably slightly different, but let's say six months ago, you had a new restaurant opening in Hong Kong every, every three weeks, three weeks, two weeks, you know, three so hours. You, 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 you have such a short time to expose yourself, and then he's another one, and he's another one, and he's another one. On those years, 1997, 98, it was nothing, you know. Um, it was a restaurant, Farangelos, that opened up, and it was, you know, the rage. It was, they were paying $6.50 a square foot rent. You know? it, it, it was it, it, bad uh, back then to do that, of course, but... Yeah, and, and, and it was yeah, and it was cheap Italian and with a big piece of bread. You know, that it was free. So it accused, and and it was one of the very few successful places that opened up there, and they got a hell of a lot of coverage, magazine coverage, and marketing for free because the magazines again they didn't have much information, so they are they are looking for something to publish. We design, I don't know, maybe three or four restaurants a year, and. Uh, and it was the same. I would get calls from, you know, InDesign magazine and Hinge magazine and Perspective magazine. I, I, I tell you, in those two, three years, I, I got mm, published more than for the other 500 restaurants I've done after that. It, uh, so it, 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 it was, if I had done it now, it would probably, not now, again, but, you know, if I had done it at a peak time, it would have been a lot harder. You don't get the exposure. You don't get the people looking for something new because it's something new every weekend. I, I, I really want the listeners to pick up on, a, on a, quite a few bits and pieces that you're talking about here that I think are very relevant to the entrepreneur journey. I think, first of all, um, you know, the humble beginnings piece, I think, can make you grateful over time. Sometimes if you get it too easy, too quickly, you can lose that gratefulness and it sounds to me the way you're describing some of your early jobs weren't very glamorous but you 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 appreciated the work and you enjoyed the work and that led you to get more work and i think a lot of people sometimes want it all straight away there's a kind of an instant gratification whereas what you're talking about i think is a very important journey for an entrepreneur you you step by step get to do what you want and then you know so you get in that one restaurant and that's what you want and then there's suddenly two restaurants that someone wants you to do and that's when it escalates into come to hong kong right so it's a step-by-step yeah. process so and I, and I and i have to say i mean actually just just for the record as well i mean our, our paths might have crossed because i arrived in 1997 in hong kong so i, I arrived just before the handover and i remember similar to what you're saying and you know that a lot of people kind of shut shop and left, not just because of the financial crisis, but also because they thought when China were rolled in, it would become this communist state and, and you wouldn't want to you know, have a business there anymore. So a lot of people left. And to your point exactly, that created a vacuum, an opportunity for people like you. And, and for me, I started a business at that time too. And it created an opportunity. And I think that's part of what I want people to pick up on for today. That although while we're in the middle of this difficult time with coronavirus, in it all is in fact an opportunity for you to reinvent yourself or figure out what you really want or, or go out there and, and build something that people need that are going to help them right now, right? So that's kind of what 
you, you've gone through by keep walking into these recessions in a way, right? Well, you know, and every every time now, but and that's something I guess you just learn with age and experience. Uh, you know, if if I trip, it's like okay, what's going to come out of this? You know, it's it's it's, it's not necessarily bad. It uh, the fact that it forces you to do something out of your comfort zone, you you become more grateful that you know you managed to overcome that. Um, like I said before, I was I was just so painfully shy and and not just shy i was afraid of doing anything taking a risk or um expose myself embarrass myself now you know it, it's occasionally I, I might blush but it, it anything that goes wrong it's just one day of being upset and then the next day is like okay what are we going to do about it do, do you think the shyness actually has ended up being a superpower for you in a way? Has it? Has it? How? I mean, I'm, I'm also interested. In a second point: it's like, how did it manifest itself? Sorry, listeners, I have my dogs. I'm podcast recording from home, so sometimes my dogs do bark. Pretty annoying. Uh, maybe Connie, you can try and edit that out. But, um, but yeah. So sorry. You know, how, how did it? How did it play out for you? I mean, family-wise, I'm, I'm intrigued. Like, if you, you had a, a, a young daughter, so it sounds like you were taking a lot yeah. of risks. Um, you know, how, how did that play out? You know, that, yeah, I, I have an amazing wife because, you know, she went along with all the shit that I kept doing. You know? And uh, by the time we got to Hong Kong, it was three kids. I was, I don't know, 30 years old, uh, 32. And... Um, so yes, it was a high risk. And then 98 came, we had the recession. And honestly, the reason we didn't leave is I couldn't afford the ticket. You know, and, and the only way to afford the ticket would have been to call my mother and say, Mom, send me money for the ticket. And that was not going to happen. And um, and again, you know, my wife, by by this time, I'm, I'm used to work on, on, on my own. I want, not on my own, but for myself. So I, I don't want to work for a big company. I don't want to work in, in these structures, corporate structures anymore. And, and, and she just went along all the time. And she put with so much crap and, and, and never, a, maybe a long face every now and again, but you know, never a, a disapproval. It was like, you're not, you're not going to like it. Just keep doing it. You know? do what you, I, what I you often do. tell people the most important partnership you can ever establish in life is your partner partnership yeah you know you never have a contract for that and you should kind of shake hands or kiss and make a deal and uh you know and 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 that's the best and most important deal you can ever make and and it can really affect your career dramatically too because if you'd had pressure from, from your wife we've got three kids what are you doing going to hong kong you know let's just you know build a business here or build get a job then then your life would be very different today wouldn't it yeah, absolutely without question you know I, I i didn't tell my wife when i was applying for the job in brunei you know, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll apply first and then we'll see how it goes. And then I got home one night and she um, opens the door and she's got a fax and, and the atlas and say, where is Brunei? Ha, <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> Shit, I should have yeah. talked about this before. Uh, but, you know, she was like, okay, we're going to Brunei. No, well, I mean, that's also an element of the trust that you have. I, I, I have a similar thing where I say to my wife, you know, suddenly, or, um, you know, I've sold my company. And she's like, oh, okay, right. What are we doing next? You know, so uh, if, if you've got the right partner, they'll go with the flow. You know, sometimes telling them maybe you're going to get a job in Brunei will make them worry more than we've got a job in Brunei. Let's go. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know. So, uh, and honestly, I, I mean, I have very good friends, my best friends, and and I know that the wife would, you know, go and talk to my wife and say, you know, why don't you tell him to stop doing that? Because you know, I couldn't have holidays when when you work for yourself and it's a small company. You, if you take holidays, you, you have no pay. You know, you, you're working for yourself, so it's not just the cost of the holidays; it's the fact that you have no income. And, and, and plus the fact that that client may end up having to use someone else and building a relationship with someone else, right? So it's not just a bit, it's not that they'll wait for you always. I mean, you now have a, you know, a very, very good reputation. Of course, people would wait for you. But back in the early days, that's not always the case, right? People mm-hmm. are like, I'm opening a restaurant. I've got rent to pay. So we need to get this done. So if you're away on holiday, um, you know, cost of the holiday, cost of no income, and maybe the loss of a client. You know, so um, so my wife would go, uh, go away on holidays with the kids back home and uh, in, to Chile, and, and and I would stay and work. You know, it's uh, so um, it was no Sundays, no Saturdays. You know, it's only about I don't know, maybe twelve years ago that my wife said, you know, no more Sundays, and, and no more Sundays. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, <laughs> what was the name so, of the Spanish um, restaurant? Just for my Hong Kong listeners, what was the name of the Spanish restaurant that you did? Bodega. These are all very famous names. For anyone that's lived in Hong Kong, these are like institutional restaurants, you know, the original popular restaurants. At the time, you know, I did the the Wyndham Street Thai, then I did La Bodega, then I did a little corner, uh, the noodle shop, you know, uh, just in Wyndham Street with um, Glen Ely. And then in Glen Ely up the road, I did uh, the, the bar, gay bar called Zip. They, then I work in, in 1998 when the crisis started. I work with um, the FCC, the Foreign Correspondent Club. So I did the jazz bar and the dining hall and the main bar, and and they were going broke almost at the time. So um, again, we did it for next to nothing. And uh, when you think about the FCC, uh, you don't think broke. They're in a beautiful building, well funded by. I mean. Yeah, so it's amazing that, you know, when, when you say FCC, I, I, my first question is, was, was this where you started to get paid proper money? But then somehow... Um, they, 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 they were suffering and struggling. And, um, and, and then we did the Jasper and the Jasper picked up. And then we did the, the main, the rooftop, the, the main dining area. And, 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 and the whole thing, I mean, it's not because of us, but, you know, the economy picked up at the same time. It's, it's a whole, you know lot of things that happened out there at the first at the best uh, at the same time and and it picked up and it, and it was again an amazing experience and they're all journalists they're all lawyers so you you meet other people i i didn't um i never made good use of all the connections in terms of marketing i i i tend to shy away and run back to the office i and um uh, but at the time, I used the FCC a lot because I didn't have an office anymore. I lived in Discovery Bay. I used to take the ferry twice a week just for meetings. And I used the FCC for the meetings. That was a trade-off. You know? The fee was low, but I could use the FCC. And uh, and then we rented a little place in Lockhart Road uh, that cost nothing. But it had not, we didn't even have air conditioning. But it was February. So it was okay, it was cold, but by May it was getting very hot and we still have no air conditioning, but we had no money to buy an air condition. And uh, it was a six by seven square meter, um, you know, sort of um, hole in an old building. And uh, and we used to, we could afford a fan. So we bought a fan that we used to put by the door to suck the cold air from the offices next door to us. And uh, And eventually we, 
we managed to get an aircon. And um, and again, we we got you know one job led to the to the next one. One day we had a client that just knocked the door. Um, new client we'd never met him before. He they just knocked the door literally and came in with a group of maybe six of his associates and and they 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 came to interview us for for a job and I was like okay so I had to let everyone in the office go out so I could use their chairs and we all sat and we started talking about restaurants. He owned a couple of restaurants at the time I don't know maybe twelve restaurants and he had a site where he needed to do four restaurants. And he used to design them himself. He was not a designer, but he was a very good entrepreneur and actually had a very good eye for the layouts and getting the restaurants right. So um, he came up, he had a site and not for terrace. And he said, look, normally I would do them myself, but I cannot do four at the same time. So came to us and we did a Cuban restaurant, a Thai, Vietnamese and um, Spanish restaurant and a seafood restaurant and Russian restaurant, Balalaika, you know, sort of a, we, we got all this stuff from Siberia to decorate the restaurant. And, and we opened these places and again, they, they, they were a boom. He was a very good operator, you know. So uh, I've been very lucky too that um, I ended up meeting the, the right clients. They know what they're doing. So it's much easier to have something that's successful and you take part of the credit. Well, you could argue that um, your um, they found you. You know, those good clients knew that you were good at what you do. Now, I, I just want to give a bit of context actually to this for a moment because uh, I, 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 I listen to your story. And if any listeners out there listening to your story, you, you sound very humble, and and you've come from this you know interesting line from Chile to to Brunei to then coming to Hong Kong, and 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 you know you mentioned you were a cleaner there. But let me just tell you what my experience was of you and your brand. Okay, so I, I was in Hong Kong in 1997. I opened up an agency called Fluid. We were doing brands for restaurants. Okay, and the first time I ever heard your name, I was working for a, 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 a new restaurant bar, and they asked us to do their brand, and they and I said to them, "Who's designing what you're doing?" And they said they wanted you but couldn't afford you. And so, so um, you know, I think to so my impression when I first heard your name, this is maybe two thousand and eight. To, you know, is that, that you were, you know, the high end of the market. And if anyone's been listening to this podcast up until this point, that, you know, you, 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 you sound, uh, you sound like, you know, you, you were just kind of doing whatever came your way, but, but something changed along the way. And I, and I, and I'd love to hear what happened. You mentioned earlier in the podcast that you became an owner in restaurants. And so what, 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 what happened? There's two things, you know, first, um, 2000, year 2000. We had a break. We had a site in Pacific Place. Um, there used to be a restaurant there called Tigers, belonged to Maxine's, and they came to us. Maxine's came to us and said, "We need, um, we need a new Thai modern Thai restaurant." And and they had seen Wyndham Thai, so they they wanted something on those lines. So we designed a restaurant there called Wyndham um, Thai Basil in Pacific Place. You know it very well. Anyone that's not been yep. to Hong Kong that's listening to all this now, you need to write these restaurants down. Thai Basil, still there, isn't it? It changed. You know, we, we actually, um, they moved site and we didn't design the next one. Um, but in the same site, we just actually opened three weeks ago for them, um, Peking Garden, in the same site that the original Thai Basil was. But in, in year 2000, we designed Thai Basil and 
and it got into wallpaper magazine, top 100 restaurants in the world in Condé Nast. We, we just got everywhere. And, and again, our fee at the time was, I would have done it for freaking free. You know, it was Pacific Place. But um, in fact, we did um, the Peak Cafe um, a little bit before that. And, 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 and That's another smash hit. Uh, yeah, time, and, yeah, and that was a very, very tough client. I, I love him, but he's, he's, he's really tight, you know. And we negotiated that for weeks, and it was really a low fee. And, and once we settled, he said, you know, I would have paid you more. And I told him, well, you know, I would have done it for free. It reminds me of the Pretty Woman scene, you know, the movie Pretty Woman, when it's yeah. like, I would have paid you double. She said I would have taken half, you know. <laughs> You both <laughs> both think you've negotiated a good deal. By the way, I know the operator you're talking about. We don't have to mention his name, but he's a fantastic individual. And I know exactly the profile you mean that you know, between you, yeah. it's a fantastic juggle to, to get a deal yeah. done. But yeah, so that, that was your break, I guess. You, you, once, you're, once you've got a top 100 restaurant, that's it, isn't it? You're kind of made in your business. Well, we had, we had a trajectory, but now we had something in a swire property and it was hot and it was hot for years. Um, and, and, and then things started, started to pick up. The economy started to pick up in parallel at the same time. So we, we, got, um, we got lucky and, and, and we could start getting into a, a more professional level you know, and uh, start charging. And then I had, um, we, we hired an office administrator secretary that negotiated the fees for me and, and she's local. So, yeah. you know, it made a big difference. It's, uh, See, this is another. This is a tip I want people to pick up on, and 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 there's so many reasons I, I wanted to uh, interview her, and, and I think partly because I think people out there that think they're not entrepreneurs, you probably are, and and what you've just mentioned there is an example. If if you're shy or you have a strength in one area but a weakness in another, you can hire. The, the weakness um, you have. So like you're saying there, you, you got someone in who could speak the language and that could negotiate price uh, while you did what you loved, which was create the environments and, and, and do the back end, I guess, uh, work itself. So, so you overcome, you overcome your weakness and, and, uh, and double down on your strength, right? Absolutely. You know, um, the, the fees I would still negotiate bef- before she came. And, but all the chasing, all the money, all the administration, my wife would do it and, and she hated it too, but someone has to do it. And, uh, and I was much worse than her uh, at doing it. So, um, and, but it was hard, you know, our office was small, we were four people and it was like, how can I pay someone full time to just negotiate fees and do the paperwork? You know, I, 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 I believed in whoever is here has to be hands-on and be, drawing it and going to sight and, and be part of it. You know? But, um, but it, 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 it got tiring and then we tried and um, we have met her before. We knew her strength and, um, and I think our fees went up, you know, probably 40, 50% overnight, you know, like, well, I mean, my, my wife's a creative, so I, I can talk to this a little bit that she always, she never values what she's doing in the sense that she just wants to do the work. She, you know, you've yep. said it a few times in this podcast, you, you would have done it for free. And I think for creatives, when they're loving what they do, and my wife is the same. She would do it all day long for free and, and because she loves doing it and, and building value in or doing price discovery is almost like a pain because it's, stop, it's a friction point between you and doing the work. <laughs> 
Yep. And so it's fascinating. I think as a creative entrepreneur is, is kind of how I see you. Um, but I, I have a lot of respect for you. I mean, we've, we've never spoken before, but your, your brand and your name and your history as someone that owned a design company, you were definitely one of the people in Hong Kong that had an organization that people respected. And I love the story that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a typical uh, profile of an entrepreneur. You weren't a salesperson like me. I was a salesperson, um, you know, you, you, you were humble, but I'm interested in just stepping back for a second. Cause I, I want to get to the end of your Hong Kong story and, and, and tell a little bit about how you got into the ownership of restaurants. But just before we do that, I just want to take a step back. I wonder why are you shy? Do you think it's, what were your parents like? How, how did that manifest itself? It's, it, you know, it's uh, my father was very shy. I, I was the first grandson, the first son, you know, the first, so uh, I was, the good guy. I was good. I always did well. I and and, and you know and, and it was very frustrating and, and and because I know what I'm thinking. I wasn't so good, you know. But but you're constantly putting up with this show, and and then people would. I know. I I realized. I had psychologists when I was eleven. The first time I went to it, and then. Uh, therapy group when I was 19 and again when I was 22 and, and and they 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 got better and I got better but but it was always um, a heavy weight on, on my back but when I left and I went to Australia I realized that half of it is a sticker you know I, I grew up in Chile and they will all say oh he's so nice he's so good he's he's a bit shy and I would go to a party with my, and I was a DJ at university and, and, and at school. Part of it was because I didn't need to dance. You know, I could just go in the corner and put the music. So you are cool, but you don't need to participate. You don't need to talk to anyone. The DJs mostly and, are, are always the coolest people. You always wanted to know the DJ. So that's quite a good place to yeah, be. So it was pretty good, you know, but I didn't need to be part of that. I didn't, I was sorry, I'm busy. And I just... And, and back to the to the thing, and um, and that may be extra money anyhow. So um, so it was it was the side. Uh, it, it was all good. The DJ thing was fantastic, and it was a great cover to the to the shyness. So you're participating, but you're not in there. And um, and in those days, the DJs didn't need to talk. Now they they talk, which is I wouldn't have never been able to do it now. And uh, but you, do you think it wasn't it wasn't your natural state? Actually, this is something that had got imprinted on you from a young age, and you became what people said you were. Is that is that what you're saying? You know, I thought I was born like that. I thought I'm shy, I'm screwed. That's it. You know? But when I left Australia, and, and 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 after a month or two months in Australia, I people started having a different attitude towards me. The fact that I didn't talk, they put that on. Oh, he's from Chile, he doesn't speak English. But he's from Chile, they are party animals, they are wild. And all of a sudden it's like someone is giving you permission to be a party animal and wild. I'm from Chile, I'm South American, I can get away with freaking anything now. Mm -hmm. And the sticker changed. So I did nothing. And it was like, be careful with it from South America. So this is great. You know, it's like all of a sudden your sheepskin is a wolf skin. And you're still the same person, but you know they, they they put a different sticker, and now I can I can reinvent myself. In in Chile, if I poke on the Sunday table in my family house, it was like everyone quiet, and they're like, 
wow, he's got an opinion. And, and, and that would be enough for me to go blank, get sweaty hands. I actually, I actually think this is a, a, a good point around, this is why I sometimes say to people, you should leave your village and go and experience the world because, you know, who you are in your village growing up and who you actually are might be two different things. So if you go, even for me, I went to Hong Kong and, and I just, I just kind of woke up a bit, you know, you, you can reassess who you are and what, you know, what your image is and what you want to be. And, and, and that's, that's the amazing thing about shedding that skin, I guess, right? It, 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 that was, I mean, if you have to say what's the best or the one thing in your life, that just get out of your place. Mm. You know, go to somewhere where you know nobody, nobody knows you. It's an amazing you Get out of your comfort zone initially, but then you can actually find out who you really are, I guess, right? So I'm interested yeah. in this whole, you know, this, this whole concept. So your, so your parents, what did they do? What were, the, what were their jobs? I was a housewife and uh, very social, very intelligent, difficult to. Hopefully she's not going to watch this thing. Mm, um, definitely will, so be nice. But uh, my father um, studied architecture, but he got married early, and uh, I think because of me. And um, then he he was a small property developer. My Both my grandparents are engineers, and both of them had... Uh, uh, small property development company. Then no, no, I like talking about building three houses and selling them, building a Navia one six-story apartment building and selling it. So one was more successful than the other one, but both of my grandparents were constantly doing their own thing, uh, engineers, but they were doing a read of property development. So my father got involved eventually in there and then uh, uh, opened a restaurant with five friends and, 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 and he lived very simply, you know, so he, he could happily live with next to nothing. And um, at, So he was at, also in the restaurant one, business in the end. He was also in the restaurant business. It by, by chance, you know, he, um, they, he, he just invested in a restaurant and, and the restaurant ended, being, ended up being probably the main business they had. So um, with four other friends. Is this what made you fall so, in love with the business, you think? You, how old were you when, okay. when they got their restaurant? No, no. like, uh, like I said before, I, I, I grew up a block away from that restaurant. And so I used to go there every day for lunch, go back to school, come back in the afternoon, do my homework in the, in the admin office, finish my homework, go downstairs, help in the bar preparing cocktails, you know, and waiting for him to pick me up. But I grew up with that family. It was really a family. It was 60 employees that had been there forever. And um, I was like a pet for them, and uh, but but it was <laughs> fantastic. And and again, you know, when you are shy, being in in a restaurant, you you kind of watch everyone else doing the thing, but you don't need to participate. You know, I, so it was it was fascinating um, to see all these people doing the most incredibly wild and silly things, especially when they get pissed, and and you're just watching from their distance, but there. How old are you? And, uh, how old are you? you know, I'm sure it's probably over a period of time, but how old were you when this was all playing out? I was 14, um, and, and I was 14 till I was 24. I used to go there all the time. After school, I went to university, and after university, I used, I used to stop by the restaurant every day on my way back home, you know, and just for half an hour to say hi to the, to the staff, um, get a, a drink or a bag of... Um, French fries and and keep going home you know? and um, and and but I never thought of 
owing, running, designing. It was it was something that was there. But I, I participated in, in meetings when they were doing extensions in the restaurant and stuff, and they would get the, the, the architects coming in and, and the five partners are there, and, and they had a very clear idea of what they want to do. And then they hired these designers that were very articulate, and they would turn them around in, 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 in an hour and a half and convince them to design this thing that you look at and it makes no freaking sense. But they would design it and, and build it. And then a month and a half later, they were all pissed off because they had agreed to that and they were starting to modify it and change it to what made sense. And, and everyone ended up unhappy, you know, because it ended up in a compromised design. The designer was frustrated and really pissed off because now it looked like shit. And, uh, you know, so when, when, when I had this client that can, can you design a restaurant? And, and, and I said, you know, to you, that all this flood of memories came back. I, I remember these meetings. So I, I put waiter stations and I allowed for circulation and allowed for all these things that you don't want to as a designer. You just want them pretty, you know, but I, I, but you're not, but thinking I about, you're not thinking about the functionality enough, you mean? So, so in other words, people design it so it looks pretty, and then when it comes to actual function of the restaurant, they're not thinking of where the waiters are going to stand or where the glasses are going to go, that type of thing, right? And, and, and normally when you start putting all of this, they, they end up making your restaurant look a little bit uglier or not as pretty as you want it, you know, and the circulation, the line, the alignment, all of that is gone. But, but I knew that if I didn't do it, the client was going to end up doing it by himself because eventually it's going to come to life and you're not going to be able to control it. So, so I, I, I compromised and I found the best way to make it work from day one. And, and like you were asking before, has been shy influence your, I think it has, it did a lot, especially at the beginning, because I was very considerate with, with potentially shy clients. You know, I remember just, thinking going to a restaurant and, and being fully exposed the minute you open the door. It, it, it bothered me, so I wouldn't go in. Um, if it looked too expensive, I would think twice because I'm carrying enough money to go in there. You know? uh, so, uh, so it allowed you to have so empathy, you went, empathy for people that might have those feelings, right? Absolutely. And, and I know that it was very frustrating. So you are designing them for a, a little corner where shy people can enjoy it without being exposed. Uh, an entry where you don't come in and you're like flashing in front of everyone from day one, you know, and. Uh, so I think about the restaurant you've, you've, you've done that, I, that you mentioned, the history ones like Thai Basil and Wyndham Street Thai, these had little cubbyhole feelings to them. You could, it could be private. So there's a theme running through there um, related back yeah. to your superpower, which is interesting, isn't it? I, I guess also, I mean, listening to you, I also feel like you um you leveraged your 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 superpower by building the process out for clients so that they wouldn't there wouldn't be any friction between you and the client so in theory less meetings less less uh, awkward moments you know there are awkward moments uh, there are minutes in which your first reaction is no and then it's like okay put yourself in the other position put yourself in the other position if you're, I'm in the service industry. Yes, I love design and I love them to look good, but I'm in the service industry and he's looking for a service. Now, if I give him something really pretty that he cannot feel comfortable with, it won't work. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter how many awards I get and how many times it comes in a magazine, it's going to close in six months. And, and I'm going to be frustrated. I much rather do something that I'm not too proud of from an aesthetic point of view, 
I might not put it on my portfolio. I've got 600 places that I've done. I don't need to put them all there. 600 designs you've done. That's unbelievable. unbelievable. Probably a few more. You know, and but the ones that give you satisfaction are the ones that have a queue outside. The ones that you walk in and you see people enjoying themselves. That's that's our job. You know, it's not a pretty thing for a magazine. That, that's now. Now I know why you became uh, such an icon and 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 so expensive <laughs> because you cared about the customer over your own glory, which so many people um, forget to do. You know, the thing is, there is glory in in the fact that. They work. Yes, you know, well, you're, you're exactly. You're taking the right glory, but so many people overlook it. So many people want the awards and the prestige. And to your point, which I think is fantastic for any entrepreneurs listening out there, I want people to pick up on this insight, which is, you know, if you want a great business, you've got to be unselfish in a way. You've got to you've got to care about your staff, of course. You've got to care about the people you're working for above and beyond your own personal short term image. Oh, I, I tend to disagree. I'm, I think I'm very selfish in that regard. I, th- oh, I think you know, the, 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 the thing is, the satisfaction at the end of the day, because I've done very pretty places that didn't work. You know, and, and the feeling when you walk past them, you know, it's like you have a dog. I, I used to have dogs when I was very young. And, and, and in general, they were quite aggressive. And chili dogs are aggressive and they used to fight all the time. And occasionally my dog got old and he got bitten by a dog, you know, sort of at two blocks from home. And as soon as we were approaching the house of this dog where he got bitten, he would just go across the road and go on the other side. And when you do a restaurant that doesn't work, you get that feeling, you know, you, you just don't want to go past. You see the managers looking at you with long eyes, kind of like, what are we going to do? The last thing you want is that, you know, somebody invested their life savings in it. They have 60 or 20 or 30 people working inside that their lives depend on that. You want it full. And it's, it's selfish. You just want it full because it satisfies you. Now, I won't put it on the magazine and I won't put it on, a, on, on the next award winning uh, competition because I'm not going to embarrass myself on it, but I'd like to see them full. Yeah, it's an interesting... I, I, I get why you push back on my point. I think I still think there's an element of selfishness, lack of selfishness there. I, I still what you're, what you're really talking about, I think, is a learning from doing it the wrong way. It's it's it, and no one no one wants the feeling that you've hurt another business. But there are some people that will say, well, you know, um, that's the way it goes. Some businesses work, some businesses don't. It feels to me like you take it personally. I do very much. Which, which I think is a fantastic trait of an entrepreneur because cause, cause too many people just skirt over it. You know, I think about people in the financial crisis, for example, they probably made a lot of money from selling people mortgages that were no good for them. You know, they're quite, that's, that's, that's selfish to me. What you're, I don't think what you're talking about um, is selfish. I think what you're talking about, you know, there, there, there is, of course, as, as a human race, no one wants to feel pain. So that bit can be selfish. But I think overarching, you want those businesses to succeed. That's the most important thing. Um, that's success to you, whether it looks pretty or not. It's just a fascinating area. I, th- I think I think your whole way of explaining things is, is fascinating. I hope the audience are picking up on it. I, I guess I also wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, uh, you, you said I had a, a bit of luck and, and when you got the um, Pacific Place project, and for anyone that's know Hong Kong, Pacific Place is a very prestigious location to, to to be given a project. So, you you had a bit of luck. Now, can we unpack that a little bit? You know, first of all, do you do you 
how do, how do you perceive luck in business? Have you had a lucky moment or bad luck or good luck moment or, or bad luck moment? You're saying that's good luck, but is it, how does it, how does it manifest itself? What do you think about luck? I, like I said to you, I, I don't go out selling myself. I don't socialize. So, you know, the fact that you, you just get somebody calling you or the fact that, um, out of the blue, you know. When I first came to Hong Kong, I, I remember looking at the Peak Cafe or the Landmark or these this icons of restaurants that are out there. And I used to think, how do they get that? How can they be so lucky? And some of the designs were lousy and you think, why can't I get that? And then, you know, within 20 years, um, I, I've got almost all of them, you know. I, I I got the cafe landmark. I got the FCC. I got the peak lookout. I and and it was like, really, how lucky can you get? And and, and yes, of course, is is a connection that you kind of make along the way. The the reason we got the the job in Pacific Place is because they wanted to do a modern tie. And they look around, and the best modern tie at the time had been uh, Wyndham Street tie. And uh, a guy that worked there before basically had my number. So when they when they were talking about that, the guy said, "You know, uh, I know the designer." So you know, you just do a good deed with a little restaurant here and there. I I, I tend to get along with the with the managers of the restaurants and the young operators and because we are talking about the same language is they they want to serve people or they want to do good food i, I love good food I, I enjoy you know the fact that people are having a great time in my restaurant so so it's, it's very easy to work with them uh, people in the hospitality industry are fantastic i love the industry it's, 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 they call you at all times you don't have a phone because they call you all the time, so I don't have a bloody phone, you know. But uh, uh-huh. that's one thing but, that I learned too. But my my listeners who don't agree with me, I think luck is a skill. Will be uh, some of them don't li- agree with with this, you know. Will say that um, you know you 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 were you were lucky because you worked hard and you created a reputation and you'd worked on a restaurant that was successful. So you know you created your own luck that's my view but other people will say well it's just random like you say someone just decided to give your name to someone else and that lucky moment led them to call you which led to you getting that job which led you to get top 100 which led you to have one of the most successful design firms in hong kong All right so well, where, where do you stand on luck do you think it's random or, or a skill i think it's both i think occasionally you 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 might get a, a mark six you know and uh, but that would be a one in a million i think most of the time you work on your luck, you know. First of all, you have to, when, when it's in front of you, you have to know and you have to grab it, you know. It, it might walk right past and you, you might not notice. Uh, but like you said, I, I, I work hard. I work hard, I won't log hours. I, uh, and, uh, and I enjoy what I'm doing. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I work with the people that will get me the next job and, and and most of the jobs that I, I, I get is because someone that I've met in a restaurant that I've done, you know. So, um, so I think you work your luck, you know, but unless you get the, those very odd chances, 
you know, in, 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 in which you just run into, I don't know what, an, an amazing site. When we opened our first restaurant, that was again, you know, 2005. Um, I, I opened it, I, I've been wanting to open a restaurant by now, you know, sort of, um, I designed by that time, I don't know, 200 restaurants. And, um, and you find out that 50% of your clients don't even know what they're doing and they are succeeding in it. And, um, and financially, they're a hell of a lot better off than I was. I got a great office, but you know, as a business, it's a very lousy business. I, 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 I'm sure I can do a lot of other things with the amount of time I spent in here that are more profitable. But, but I love doing it, so it 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 doesn't really matter. But I wanted to have a bit of, um, you know security and 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 with this office I, I was never going to be able to retire so um i decided okay we, we need to open a restaurant I, you know i know about restaurants i i know that 50 percent or more of my clients don't have a clue what they're doing and within three years they are you know, very comfortable so um and uh, i met along the way many managers and so i started you know sort of one to try to convince one to jump out he 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 was basically happy working under one company and, and eventually I convinced him, you know, so, um, but it took nine months. We, we, for nine months, we were um, going to presentations, doing the layouts, doing the business plan, com- talking to landlords. We had um, um, people with um, finance. We didn't have money to open the restaurant, but we, we had the manager, and I had the design, we, we had the package. We want to open a steakhouse. And we keep losing the sites. We went to one meeting, one site, another one, another one, and, and, and the clients would received us very well and said, oh, that's fantastic. Send us the documents, send us the name, send us the, the feasibility study, and, and then no calls back. And then within a few weeks, someone was going in there with a similar plan. and was like, okay. So we, we had quite a few sites like that. And then, then we had another strike of luck. We had a site in... Wyndham Street, uh, corner of Daguilar and Wyndham, you know, sort of um, Onfen building. And uh, it used to be a hairdresser salon there that had not paid rent for seven months. The operator of the building, the, the manager of the building was panicking because he had to go back to China to report to the Chinese owners. And they had a premise that had been not paying rent for seven months, basically. So they came to us and said, look, I got this site. We went to it, had a meeting with the landlord, and, and it was like, okay, you, you, you can have it, but you need to put 240,000 Hong Kong deposit first, like now. And, uh, and we didn't have it. Um, we, we had a, an investor, so I called the investor, but the investor said, I, I, you know, you, you, you talk about this nine months ago, I don't have the money anymore. And it was like, but it was a fantastic site. And so we said, okay. And so I came back to the office and I had 350,000 Hong Kong in the office. So I talked to my staff. I said, guys, I, I, I need this off, this money for, for this. Do you mind if I pay you a month later? And all my staff said, no problem, boss. Take the money. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yep. So I managed to get money back and pay them back two weeks after that. But, uh, but basically put $240,000 and then they, they, the landlord said, okay, you've got two weeks to put um, one million. And um, 
And it was like, okay, where do we get one million? So I, I, I did what I hate doing. I just got on the phone and started calling people I know and friends, you know, all the ones that tell you, oh, if you have an opportunity, if it's a restaurant, you know, let, let us know and we'll invest. I mean, it, it, they ran like I had COVID-19. You know, they, I, I just called them and one call, talk about that. Okay, la, la, we'll discuss, call again, nothing. Call again, nothing. It was, and then one of um, one of my clients that I called and said, "Look, would you be interested in a partnership to do that?" He came to the office um, with a check, a million Hong Kong dollars, and said, "Hernan, we don't want to be partners. We don't want to be in, involved in that. We we have our own company, and we're okay with that. But here is the money. Give it back when you can." Wow. You know, so well that just goes to show the reputation you had built up, though. Uh, uh, you that, that, that moment. You know that that was a very touching minute, and, and no contract, nothing. You know, just like, just like a marriage. Yep. So you um, or you don't. Yep. And um, and that's it. So we put that that million, and now we have to start looking for the rest. We needed six million and a half to open the bloody restaurant. So my my business partner. Um, who was going to be the manager, he, he, I don't know what he did, but he managed to get another million. Then we had to, to start looking for the big investor. And out of the blue, we had, um, again, this, this land um, landlord that had done a restaurant in her building years back as a landlord. And, and we, we got to a very rocky start, but we ended up getting along very well. She was an amazing uh, lady uh, with a very tough reputation, but she was actually very good. Uh, so I went to her and she she found out to one of her staff that I basically had put everything I had in there and my partner too, and, and we had this site. And she called me at nine o'clock at night. Um, she called home and my daughter said, you know, sort of called me and I called, called her back. And... So I explained to her what we were doing, and she said, okay, can we meet there? That was I was telling you about our investor. Basically, I had to make a few calls, and then I called this, this, uh, the secretary of this lady, because she had the, the, his secretary had one point say, if you have any opportunities, let us know. So I explained whatever it is to him, and then he explained that to the landlady, and um, she called my daughter my daughter called us we were at the thai restaurant at the time you know and uh, so she says you know i'll meet you there at 11 o'clock tonight and, you know again she's coming from Clearwater bay she has definitely no interest in this she's um, you know a big landlord big and and so she comes uh, have a look at the building. We explain the project to her, between me and my business partner. She takes us to Key Club so we can explain it to her, her again. And, Key Club, and anyone then, doesn't uh, know, is a kind of a members club, very high profile. And uh, yeah, so, so this high, high profile landlord takes you to the Key Club. You sit down and, and you, you have a discussion about your new restaurant. That's it. So we go through the whole thing and then we explain how much money we need. We're missing, we're missing four million basically. And we're trying to sell 49%, we want control. And then um, one o'clock in the morning, she finishes the meeting and says, like, okay, I'll give you a call tomorrow. And, and that was it. And I take my ferry home, 
calling ghost or whatever he lived at the time. And next um, morning, 9.30, she called. I said, okay, I had a look at your project. Um, I'm in, but I want 51%. So I called my partner and such and that. By that time, he's like, whatever. You're not satisfied. You're not satisfied. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we, we got in there. and uh, uh, But, you know, again, we, we had started construction. We had no money. But, again, I called the contractors, the kitchen people there. And, and I told them, you know, we have this project. I have no money. I'm going to get the money. Can you start? They all started. They all worked for three weeks. Three weeks with no money. You know? Done the groundwork, um, you know. You've done the groundwork with the reputation and hard work and sincerity. So, so, yeah, so it's, it's it, amazing, it, yeah. For anyone that knows yes, Hong Kong, I mean, this story is amazing because contractors do not start until you've given them hefty deposits, right? Yep. And, and you're talking about, I mean, just a context of the money at the time, you know, it was 12 to the, you're talking, you know, six, seven, eight hundred thousand US dollars we're talking about to open up one restaurant. So it's yes. also not small money we're talking about here. No, no, it was. We were putting everything in line there, you know, and and uh, and it opened on um, September, and um, and you know we were there on the Friday before opening, line, uh, line, sitting by by the window with my business partner and my wife, thinking, okay, on, on you know on Tuesday we open basically all done, um, and and it was again very very successful and every other restaurant. What's the name know, of the restaurant? Wulumulu. Wow. wow, it was very successful. Yeah, very successful. Yeah, I mean, you went on to open up kind of a, a, a few of them, right? We opened uh, seven of them. I mean, five Bulumulus and two Chop House, which is a cheaper version. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, I, I could talk to you all day long. And um, these podcasts are, are meant to be um, much shorter than this, but your story is fascinating. I, I, I want to, uh, you know, first of all, say thank you for sharing it. I want to ask you more questions and I want to go deeper, but I think maybe I'll have you back on another time if you don't mind. Um, I, I'd love to dig into your story more. I, th I think your insights are so useful for entrepreneurs, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm just conscious that I've already had you for over an hour and, and, I, and I promised it wouldn't be much longer. So I'll just finish off if, if it's okay. Okay, I've got a few questions for you just at the end. Um, so just, just if you went back to your younger self, the kind of uh, young, shy Hernan, uh, what advice would you give yourself? Afraid of falling. You know? don't, be, don't be, not afraid of the, the don't, don't be embarrassed of falling. I mean, almost do it in purpose. Pretend you're falling. You know, so you realize that most people don't even notice. You know, you're so, I don't know if it's a thing of being shy. I, I wasn't narcissistic, but you feel like everyone is looking at you all the time. And um, most, most people aren't even yeah. looking. I love that. Most people aren't even looking. That's so true. I think that's a better line than fail fast. And that's kind of like, you know, fail. It doesn't matter. No one's looking. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute privilege for me to interview you, and I, and I hope my audience have got as much from it as I have. I, I've always uh, respected you and, and loved what you've done. I'm a big fan of your restaurant group, big fan of your designs, and a big fan of your philosophy. So thank you so much for giving time and for, uh, for sharing your story with me and the audience today. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Good Luck Club podcast. We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to and you've chosen us. We, of course, feel lucky. 
If you want to hear more, please go to thegoodluckpod.com or go to any of our social media pages and share with us your views, your insights and any way that we can improve what we're doing to make it a better experience for you. We wish you the best of luck.